before I read the scripture today, let me once again remind you in the event you weren't here last Sunday, in your bulletin on the back side of the pink slip is the countdown to Christmas. And what we wanted to do was to be encouraged to read uh, the story of Christmas for the next 25 days in preparation, uh, with the next 24 days now since today is the second or the next 23. I have trouble with math. And uh, I hope that you're going to read uh, these scriptures, the Gospel of John, uh, through the 21 chapters in John, and then uh, Luke 1, Luke 2, Matthew 2, and Matthew 1. And on Christmas morning, I hope that you'll sit down with your family and you'll read the story of the birth of Christ. Now, if you weren't here last Sunday or if you forgot about this, don't feel bad, okay? Because honest to goodness, yesterday morning, I'd done my devotional and then I was going to read John chapter 1. And just as I began to read, Ella came into the room and got my attention. And so I got to catch up today. So don't worry if you didn't get chapter 1 tomorrow, but I hope that you will read this. God will bless us as we read his word. And God will bless this world as we live his wor word before them. Well, that's another sermon. God's Christmas gift, the Savior who came from heaven to earth. Let's read, first of all, John chapter 1, verse 14. And this is out of the Good News Bible. The word became a human being and full of grace and truth lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory which he received as the Father's only Son. And that's, let's read the story of the birth of Jesus according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Steve, hold that frame for just a second, okay? That last phrase. She was found to be a child with the Holy Spirit. This is going to be mentioned again in verse, in verse 20, I believe is the verse, verse 20. Folks, there is no doubt, according to the word of God, that this child is different than any other child that was ever born. This child is the Son of God. This child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I know that's elementary to you and I who have heard preachers over the years, but folks, this is one of the foundations of our faith, that Jesus was born of a virgin. It is an act of God as promised by Isaiah 7:14 that we read earlier. Okay, let's go to the next verses. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And again, this is Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had born a son, and he called his name Jesus. You remember last week we said that the Christmas story is... First of all, the Christmas story is Jesus' story. He is the Son of God. He is Christ, the Savior. The Christmas story is the greatest story of history, past, present, 
and future. And the Christmas story is the story that changes hearts and lives eternally. What Jesus has done for us is not only something that changes our right now, but it changes us eternally. The Christmas story is the story of the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift ever given. And the Christmas story has a divine purpose. Last Sunday, we said that there were three questions that we want to answer in the coming week. Number one, is Jesus God? And last Sunday, we tried to point out from the Word of God that Jesus is God himself. And this morning, we begin on the second question, where was Jesus before the Christmas story? Have you ever thought about that? Where was Jesus before the event of the birth that we have recorded in the gospel records? Well, folks, let me give you some scriptural evidences. First of all, in John chapter 1, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. And let me read that verse out of the Good News Bible. From the very beginning, the Word was with God. Folks, if someone comes up to you and says, well, where was Jesus before he was born in the manger? Folks, he was in heaven with God, his Father. And how can that be? Well, let me read another passage of Scripture. John chapter 8, verse 58 and when Jesus said these words, and there were Jews that were standing there, especially Pharisees and scribes, they got so angry with him, they wanted to kill him at that moment. But Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now just think about this for just a second. And, and again, folks, I hope and pray this morning that the Spirit of God is just going to take his word and touch our hearts. Folks, these Jews that Jesus was speaking to in John chapter 8, they prided themselves on being sons of Abraham, that is, Jews. Just like sometimes we pride ourselves on being Baptists, and they're saying, we're sons of Abraham. And Jesus was saying to them, you're not, you're sons of the devil. Because if you were sons of Abraham, you would believe that I am the son of God. And they began to question Jesus. How can you say such things? And Jesus said, truly, truly, and that again means this is what God says. This is equivalent to the Old Testament words of the prophet. Thus saith the Lord, Jesus said, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Abraham had lived thousands of years before Jesus came to this earth. And so Jesus is saying to these Jewish people before Abraham ever set foot on this planet, I am. And again, you remember last week as we talked about uh, was Jesus God and Jesus uses the expressions throughout the gospel of John, I am, I am the bread of life, I am the living waters, I am the resurrection and the light, I am uh, life, I am the light of the world. Folks, Jesus is saying to these Jewish people and the word of God is saying to you and I that Jesus was in heaven before the Christmas story. Do you believe that? Folks, let me tell you why this is so important. If Jesus was in heaven with the Father before the Christmas story, look at what he gave up for you and me. And folks, this is something that has really struck me in these last two weeks. For Jesus to leave heaven and come to this earth, look what he gave up for you and for me and for every sinner who's ever walked on this planet. Just think about this for just a second. Number one, Jesus gave up his throne beside the Father. 
Let me read a verse to you that perhaps seems out of place in talking about Christmas, but in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The writer, and he's talking to the early church about not losing heart, not giving up. And listen to what the writer says. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you and I believe this? Folks, I believe that before, and I'm not asking you to believe what I'm saying. I'm asking you to believe the word of God as led by the Holy Spirit to believe. Jesus was sitting on the throne in heaven beside the Father before he became a man and came to this earth. And folks, Jesus did not stop being God when he came to earth, but he became a man so that we could see him and know him and hear him teach and see him act and do the miracles and face Satan and temptation as he did. And Jesus temporarily gave up his throne in heaven, but he came to earth with his father's authority. Now, again, that might not make sense at first, and it might not seem important till we think about this. Jesus came from a heavenly throne to a lowly manger to a cruel cross. How much did Jesus Christ give up for you and for me? Folks, it is truly the greatest gift that the world has ever known. Not only did Jesus give up his throne in heaven, but he gave up his heavenly glory. Let me point out two verses to you. John chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. And in John 17, and folks, I didn't realize this when, when, when and, and again, I, I'm not patting myself on the back saying this, when we came up with this countdown to Christmas and, 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 and asked you to read the Gospel of John, do you realize that many of the scriptures that I am reading come out of the Gospel of John? I think God had something to do with this, not me, okay? And I think if we really want to get to know who Jesus is, read the Gospel of John. But folks, in John chapter 17, Jesus is preparing to die on the cross, and it seems as if he's taken time to pray to the Father. That prayer has so many elements within it. But as Jesus begins the prayer, listen to what he says to the Father in John 17, verses 4 and 5. I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou gavest me to do. In a few minutes, we're going to be reading of how Jesus voluntarily gave himself to the work that the Father gave him. And Jesus is saying again, I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. It was the Father's work for his Son that he would come to earth and that he would live and die for you and me. But listen to verse 5. And now, Father, glorify thou me in thine own presence. Now listen closely to these words with the glory that I had with thee before the world was made. Folks, does that verse really impact us? Before this earth was ever created, Jesus was in heaven and had the glory of the Father. And I don't fully understand what that means. I don't have to fully understand it to understand that before creation, Jesus was there with the Father, and he shared the Father's glory. But when he came to this earth, he laid aside his glory for you and for me. Let me read some verses to you out of Revelations chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. 
And folks, even though this, I believe, is a picture of Jesus in heaven after his crucifixion and resurrection, shouldn't you and I believe that the angels and all the multitude of heaven were praising Jesus in heaven before he came to this earth? Does that make sense? The, the angels in heaven, the multitude knew that God was going to send his son. And before Jesus came to the earth, just like after Jesus came back to heaven, the multitudes are praising him there in heaven. Listen to these words in Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked. This is John's vision. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriad of myriads. I think that's an, a number that could not be counted. And thousands of thousands. And listen to what they're saying in the following verses. Steve, if you'll go to the next one. Saying with a loud verse, voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And all therein saying to him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped him. Folks, what is this all about? Do you and I fully understand that Jesus left the praise and adoration of heaven to come to this earth and hear men say these words to him? And I'm kind of giving my own paraphrase. Many said that Jesus was the illegitimate son of Joseph and Mary. There were many who did not believe the story that Mary was a virgin and was conceiving a child of the Holy Spirit. There are many that feel that way today. There are many who said that Jesus is a servant of Satan, possessed by demons himself. Many said Jesus is a wine-bibber and a glutton. Many said Jesus is a blasphemer of God, an imposter. You remember that was one of the main charges that the Jews brought against him at his trial. He says he is God. He says he is the king. But the words, I'm sure, that touched Jesus the most were when they said, crucify him, crucify him. Can you and I imagine leaving a throne in heaven where we have the glory of God the Father and have all the angels and heavenly hosts giving praise and honor to come to an earth where people would reject and crucify him? Can you and I understand that? This is what Jesus left for you and I. And folks, you and I need to understand that Jesus did this for at least two reasons. Number one, to obey the Father. Let me read these verses to you out of John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. And please look closely at these verses. John 10, 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, let me read those same two verses in a more modern translation. Listen to this in the Living Bible. The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may have it back again. No one can kill me without my consent. I lay down my life voluntarily. 
For I have the right and power to lay it down when I want to and also the right and power to take it again. For the Father has given me this right. And let me read that, those same two verses out of the Good News Bible. The Father loves me because I am willing to give up my life in order that I may receive it back again. No one takes my life away from me. I give it up of my own free will. I have the right to give it up and take it back. This is what my Father has commanded me to do. Now, folks, listen. Can you imagine this scene in heaven before the story of Christmas? Can you and I imagine this scene in heaven before the worlds are ever created? The Father might have been sitting there, and folks, this is not in the Scripture. I'm just imagining this in my mind. And he's saying to the heavenly host, I'm going to create man, but I'm going to give them the authority over the earth. And I'm going to give them the freedom of choice. They can choose to love me and serve me and obey me, or they can choose to disobey me and rebel against me, what you and I call sin. And I can hear Jesus saying, but Father, if... If they disobey you, if they sin against you, they'll not be worthy of being in heaven with us. And the father might have said, well, son, I've got a plan. When they choose to rebel against me, would you go to the earth on my behalf and tell them how much I love them? Would you do that for me, son? And that's where Jesus says, I will. I volunteer, father. I know that I have the power to destroy all on earth, even those who would want to destroy my life. I could send for multitudes of these angels. And again, think about Jesus dying on the cross. You know, if, if, you're, the, if you're the Savior, then call for angels to come and deliver you. Jesus could have called for the same myriad of myriad of angels that have been praising him in heaven and said, you come and take care of this crowd that's saying, crucify me and have driven the nails into my hand and the spear into my side and you just wipe them off the face of the earth. Jesus, before creation, had volunteered to come and be the Redeemer. And why did he do that? I think the answer is John 1, 12. Listen to this. To all who receive him, to them who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God. Not today, but next week, we're going to get into this thought. Well, I'm not even going to go there because it's so deep. I mean, it's so much in it. But folks, here's the point that I'm trying to make. You and I, as we approach this Christmas, need to ask ourselves, if Jesus has given so much up for us, what have we given up for him? If Jesus left his throne and his glory and the praise of the heavenly multitudes behind to come to this earth to die for us, what have we left behind for Jesus? And folks, again, I, I want to tell you, as I prepared these messages, this, action, this really convicted my heart. Today, would you and I be willing, and I'm saying this to people who have not yet trusted Christ as their personal Savior, 
Would you and I be willing to leave behind a life of sin to receive Christ as Savior and to follow him? And you remember, that's really what Jesus is saying. Follow me. That means that we're going to leave behind rebellion against God and sin, and we're going to turn our hearts and lives over to him. But what about for you and I who are Christians? Would you and I be willing to remove self from the throne of our hearts and put Jesus there? And let me ask you something. As we approach the Christmas season, is Jesus on the throne of our hearts? He's on the throne in heaven. He ought to be on the throne in our hearts. Would you and I be willing to become a servant to others as Jesus did? Jesus was willing to give completely himself away for the world. Would we do that? And folks, please hear this from my heart. I think all of us daily battle with how much we're going to give to the Lord. So often we simply think about giving, giving money, but folks, that is just a small part of giving ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Would we give our time for discipleship for him? Would we be willing to set aside time away from the TV or entertainment or the computer or social media or radio or pleasure or whatever we're doing to read and study the Word of God? You know, one of the things I feel that Christianity is missing in today's world is giving God time to get into his word. Please, again, I'm not trying to be critical. I have this same struggle. A, a number of weeks ago, a young, a young boy who was interested in, in being baptized wanted to talk with me. So his mom brought him by my office and said, I want you to talk with him just privately. And I sit down and I began to explain to him about Christ coming to earth and dying for us. And baptism is, is something that happens after we trust Christ as our Savior. And, and as I was trying to explain that to him, I asked him how much he read his Bible. Now, I was not trying to be cruel to him or anything like that. It was just a part of the conversation. And he said, I don't read it much. But then he said something that blessed my heart. He said, my granddaddy does. And in the sincere and honest way that only a child can do, he said, my granddaddy reads the Bible all the time. And you know, that just absolutely hit me right between the eyes. I wonder if Ella will grow up telling somebody else, my granddaddy reads the word of God. Have our children, grandchildren, seen you and I reading the word of God? Folks, listen. There's a world right now that needs to know the Savior, and unless we begin to give God time in his word, we'll not know him in the clear picture that he wants us to know him. And folks, that is just one side of this. Have we given God time to pray? Jesus spent many of his hours aside praying. John 17 that I read to read to you earlier is one of those prayers that he was praying in the face of crucifixion have we given god time for service for ministering to others for witnessing to others his coming to earth is completely and totally about god giving himself to minister to others 
Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And how about time to worship him? Folks, do you and I understand that when we get to heaven, one of the main things we're going to do is worship the Lord? And it ain't going to be dull, neither. It is going to be some kind of exciting. Here's my point. Jesus gave up his heavenly throne in glory to come to earth for us. What have we given up for him? Let me read this verse and I'm going to close. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I hope you'll highlight this verse in your Bible. The context of this verse Paul has been encouraging the churches to take up an offering for the saints in Jerusalem who have been who have been ostracized by their fellow Jews, who have been rejected even by their own families, and they've lost everything. And as Paul was going about on his missionary journeys, he was encouraging people to give an offering for those Christians in Jerusalem. And in that context, he makes this statement about Jesus Christ. Listen to this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Folks, as you and I think about the Christmas season, listen to this. Jesus had all the riches of heaven. Jesus had the throne beside the Father. Jesus had the glory of the Father. Jesus had the heavenly multitudes praising him for who he is. But he left it all behind temporarily to come to this earth for you and me and every other person who's ever sinned and rebelled against God so that in his poverty he can make us rich. And folks, there is no greater riches that we can accumulate than knowing the Son of God as our personal Savior and Lord. What have we given up for him? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'll take your word and you'll speak to our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you for leaving heaven and coming to earth for us. And, Lord, I pray that every person in this room right, right now might realize that's why you came and that's what Christmas is all about. And, Father, I pray that if there is someone here that has not yet received Christ as their Savior, that, Lord, even right now the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and help them understand that Jesus came for them. And if they'll simply repent of sin and turn to him and believe that he is the son of God they'll be saved and father speak our hearts as Christians life is going by so fast father and the opportunities to serve you are, are going by so quickly I pray Lord that we would give ourselves to you and we'll not wait another day to say Lord I just want to serve you I want my life to count for you and I just pray, Father, that as you gave up heaven for us, we will give our hearts and lives up to you to be used in your kingdom's work. In these moments of invitation that are ahead, I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God might lead decisions to be made. 
whether it would be publicly before the entire church or right where we stand within our hearts. Father, help us that we'll give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.